We have been walking through uh, the, the 23rd Psalm this summer. It's kind of our, it's our, our summer scripture. And so we're on verse 4. Like we're cruising through the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> we're taking it easy. Um, so I want to share with you the, the first four verses of the psalm. And when we're, when we're done today, we'll, uh, we'll read the whole 23rd Psalm together. These are the first, first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In 1898, a Methodist bishop stood on top of this mountain. It's called Mount Cherimba. It's in what is now called Zimbabwe. Um, right back then, it was called Rhodesia. He stood on top of this, this mountain. He looked out over this vast valley. And, and down in, in the valley, he, uh, he noticed that there were just a lot of people, but he also noticed that there was a lot of lack. Like there was a lack of access to, to clean water. There was lack of access to health care, lack of access to, to education, um, lack of access to good jobs. And he, he, as he was looking down on that mountain, I imagine that there were those people that he saw down there looking back up at this mountain. Cherimba, the name of the mountain, means uh, doctor or physician. So they were looking up at this mountain and in some way saying to themselves, where's our help going to come from? And they're looking up to this physician, doctor, mountain up there, and they're saying, where's our help going to come What's going to help me get out of this situation that I'm, I'm in right now? So back in 1898... Methodist bishop, standing up there on top of this, this mountain, he looks out over the valley, and he has a vision, which happens sometimes when you climb to a high altitude, right? <laughs> but he had this vision, and he, he remembered it, and he told it, and the vision was pretty simple. He just saw students from all over Africa carrying books and walking to school. It was a vision because it wasn't actually happening. There weren't, there weren't schools, there weren't these opportunities, and it was this vision that he carried with him that same year, the government of Rhodesia, Cecil Rhodes, actually himself, gave 13,000 acres in that valley to the Methodist church. 13,000 acres as a, as a gift, 1898. The next year, the primary school in that valley, the first primary school was opened, and then later a high school was opened, and then an orphanage was opened, and then a hospital was opened, and there's, there's a, a mission church right in the center of what is called the Old Mutare Mission. And today, there are hundreds of kids going to school in this, in this area. They and their families live in and around the old Mutare mission. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I actually got to go and stand in this place. <laughs> I got to, to go and visit the kids in the orphanage. They actually, I got to play soccer with them. They invited me. I did not, like, impose my greatness and soccer prowess upon them. They actually invited me, um, and, they, and I said to them, I'm, I'm an old man. Um, brittle and bone, like this could be, very, could be very dangerous, but they were very kind to me. They let me play. They even passed the ball to me, and <laughs> we had a good time. I, I left there, and I walked around the hospital. I prayed around the church that's in the center of this, of this mission. But the reason that I was even in Africa was to attend the graduation of Africa University, which is across the street from Old Mutare Mission. Uh, my dad had taught there many years ago, and I was, I was coming coming with him, the university's been there for, for about 30 years, and we were there for the 25th graduation ceremony this, this year. 
And it was amazing. I wish I could convey to you like the joy on these students' faces. There were 600 students from about 12 African nations that graduated from this one university in this valley in Zimbabwe. <laughs> and the passion that they had in them as they were graduating was to go and change the world. They're going back to their home countries. They're going to offer a different kind of servant leadership that they learned, and learned about and observed in this place. What I want to say to you is that uh, all these things happened, right? The school, primary school, the high school, the hospital, the orphanage, the church, African University. Where did they all happen? They happened in the valley. They took place down in the valley. And what was the destination of the students who were learning down in the valley? Beyond the valley, right? Like they were ready to go and change the world. Now David wrote this this song that we call the 23rd Psalm when his time in the valley was, was fresh on his mind. A lot of great songs, I think, are written out of, out of like difficult seasons in life. When David started this psalm and the verses that we've been, been walking through, he's been talking about God. So he says this, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. It's one thing to talk about God. You know, that's actually like a pretty big part of my job, is talking about God. So I think it's important. I love to be able to point out like the goodness of God. You know, sometimes God shows up in surprising ways and we need other people to point it out, right? So sometimes I, I just love this, this gift of it being my calling to talk about God. It's amazing. So David's been talking about God, but then he shifts right in the middle of the psalm. It's kind of the pinnacle of the psalm. And he begins to talk to God. He's talking to God. And I think it's important to note where David is when he begins to talk to God. He's just been in the valley. And that's the time, I think for a lot of us, when we really learn to talk to God. We'll say something like, I was in the valley, and so I talked to Jesus. I have a a good friend who's a pastor named Toy in Brentwood, and and she says, when she's in a a valley season of life, she says, me and Jesus had to have a talk. (laughs) So she'll tell me what's happening in her life, and she'll say, me and Jesus, we had to have a talk. She's sassier than me, but... (laughs) It's those moments when it's like, uh, I was in the emergency room, and I had to talk to Jesus. I was in the middle of my divorce proceedings, and I had to talk to Jesus. I was in jail. I was in bankruptcy. I was standing in the morgue, and I had to talk to Jesus. I was broken, and I had to talk to Jesus. I, I think that this principle, if you allow me just a second, kind of an aside, I think this principle applies to our human relationships as well. Talking about somebody keeps them at arm's length. Like, I could talk about you all day long, and we would get nowhere, right? Because I'm just talking about you. But if I begin to talk to you, then we're in relationship, and it gets, it gets personal. And I don't know everything, but I think this could be a big part of why we feel so broken as a society. Because we communicate at arm's length, right? We just talk about each other, and we keep it at arm's length instead of letting it become personal. But shepherds, which is what David is talking about, shepherds are personal, right? Shepherds are hands-on. You can't shepherd from a distance. So David recognizes this, and right in the middle of his song, he changes from talking about God to talking to God. He changes from he to you. And I'm I'm not a great songwriter, 
been many years since I wrote a song, but some of you guys are. And I imagine that if you wrote a song and you were started off talking about God and then you, and then you started talking to God, you would want to go back and fix your first verse so that it matches, right? <laughs> I'm glad that David didn't go back and revise the first verse of this psalm because it actually kind of shows us the journey, which I think a lot of us recognize in our hearts. So at this moment in the 23rd Psalm, David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Now you might have heard this verse before. We've talked already about how the 23rd Psalm is, is kind of common at, at the deathbed or even at, at funerals. We, we share these words. And just uh, last week, I, I read the 23rd Psalm with a beloved Providence church member named George. It was his last Tuesday on earth. And he asked, he wanted to read the 23rd Psalm. He knew it's what we've been talking about here. Tomorrow, I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm at the celebration of life for George. Like it's just a part of our, of our pattern and our rhythm. And, and we think of it at times of, of death because a lot of our translations, of, even of this verse, will equate the darkest valley with death. Yea, though I walk through the, shallow, the, the valley of the shadow of death. At the end of most of our fears is death. But I want to offer this up to you who are, who are uh, thinking to yourself, maybe I'm not that close to death today. You might also know something of dark valleys as well. Some of you are in a really deep, deep, dark place today, but you were brave enough to come and worship with us. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us today anyway. But like many of us, you are hoping to see the road begin to rise out of the valley. Like, I've been down here long enough. Have you ever noticed how the, the roads in the mountains, they tend to follow the valleys? They follow the streams, you know, like you turn around another curve and, oh, there's that same river we've been on this, on this stream the, the entire time. The valleys in life, they're, they're a fact of life. You know, what good would mountains be without the valleys in between? In fact, when you're, when you're trying to get to the mountaintop, sometimes you actually have to follow the valley to get out. You've been to the Smoky Mountains and traveled through there, you know that that's true. The river valley often provides a path to find the way up. You follow the path of that which carved out the valley in the first place. So you can walk through valleys addressing only the darkness around you, or you can begin to turn your talk to God, which is what David does in this psalm. He says, though I walk, right? And this is, this is kind of a change in the psalm, because up to this point, he's been saying, God guides, God leads, God makes, but here he's saying, I am walking through the valley, the shadow of death. Sometimes, like David, we just walk right into it. David saw a beautiful woman sunbathing on the roof, and he walked right into the valley. <laughs> and while he was in the valley, he tried, to make, he tried to fix it by making it worse <laughs> by killing her husband. And he was deep, deep in the valley Fortunately, he didn't build his home there, and we don't have to either. Even though I walk through the valley of shadows, David says, I'm not alone. The Lord is my shepherd, and the shepherd goes where the sheep wander, and sometimes we wander into valleys, right? Sometimes we just fall right off the edge into the valley. But if the sheep are in the valley, the shepherd is in the valley. Because what? The, the, the job of the shepherd is to go and save the sheep. That's what he wants to do. It's what he was born to do. It's what he's designed to do. And if he's going to save the sheep, then he has to enter into the valley too. 
I know we're in, in this like metaphor for a really long time this summer, the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd, but I just want to say to you that David started it. It's not my fault, so don't blame me. But I think there's actually something more profound here than it sounds at, at first listen. I think this is why it matters so much to the Christian faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because Jesus was a wise teacher, and some would say, well, that's, that's plenty, that's enough. But Jesus is also God with us. And because he's God with us, he knows the terrain of the valleys of our life really well. We might say, there's no way God understands the valley that I'm in right now. But in fact, he can, because he put on flesh, and he walked there as well. I'm going to sit here for just a moment longer. I think this is really important. Jesus was perfect. And, and when he came to earth, he put on imperfect skin so that those of us who walk around in imperfect skin could wear the hope of perfectly new life, which we witnessed right here. She's carrying it around. I think uh, Psalm 23 was, you could call it David's valley song. I don't, do you have a valley song, like when you're in a, a deep place, when you've kind of fallen off and you're in a deep place? Do you have a song that you go to, maybe an album? <laughs> we sang some of my valley songs this morning. Paul in the New Testament, he actually, he shares a few valley songs as well. And one of them was from 1 Corinthians. And he, he, starts, he starts it off by explaining it like this. He says, so this body that can be destroyed will clothe itself with that which can never be destroyed. And this body that dies will clothe itself with that which can never die. Kind of picture yourself in the valley this morning. You know, you're, you're feeling vulnerable. You're saying, I'm walking around in a, in a body that wasn't designed to last forever, so can I even make it in these conditions in the valley? But then you're like, wait a minute. I've put on something else. I, I've, I've, put, on this, I've put on Christ something which isn't quite obvious to the rest of the world. And then Paul says, when this happens, this scripture will be made true. And here's the valley song. Death is destroyed forever in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your pain? And he says, we thank God he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. I've sung that valley song with some of you. And we've been in the valley together. What are we going to sing? What's our song? Death. Where is your victory? I'm in the valley, but I'm not lost. I'm not defeated. I'm brave, strong, known, and loved. This is our song. The only reason you know you're in the valley is because you at least somewhere within you, you have an inkling, you have an idea that there is something else, right? That there is hope, that there's justice out there, that there's a home out in the, in the fullness of the sun. I think for us, our desire for comfort increases in the valley of the shadow of death. The valley is where your desperation for God is actually elevated. And I, I want to tell you, before we kind of walk through it a little bit more, that that's a good thing. <laughs> when you're in the valley, when you're in the low place, then your desperation is, is heightened, it's elevated. You have a higher level of desperation when you're down in the valley. And the reason that that can be good news is because I think there's almost nothing on earth that is more powerful than human desperation. It's what causes us to move, right? It's what caused you guys to, to pour out an enormous amount of money to, for some people who were in the valley, right? There was desperation there. There was a need, and it was desperate. And so, so we're going to move. 
That's what the valley meant for David. There, when he was in the valley, and remember he was a shepherd when he was a boy, he learned something about God's care for him. From a place of suffering, he learned about how God cares for him. Oh, how I wish that I could be more desperate even when I'm not in the valley. So David says this about his, his shepherd. He, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you bring your rod and staff with you today? No. Not a common instrument, but the, the picture of it, we kind of, we actually we have it in front of us in our series image. Um, it's like the, the shepherd's crook, right? The rod and the staff. And it looks like this beautiful pastoral image of a stick. <laughs> I have uh, two young boys in my life on a regular basis. And uh, recently we went to the farmer's market. Several m- months ago we went to the farmer's market and they, the boys had money that they had earned and it was in their pocket and they wanted to buy something. And we kind of got to the end of our time. They hadn't purchased anything yet. And we got to uh, this store that for some reason had like six foot long bamboo sticks. And uh, the boys saw those and they were like, how much is that? They couldn't believe how cheap a bamboo stick was. And, and so we, we grabbed them and we started walking towards the register. And then my wife, Jenny, saw us and she was like, what are those? And I was like, they're sticks. And she said, they're weapons. <laughs> and they have been used for both. She was, she was right. <laughs> the rod and the staff, in some sense, they were actually like a weapon, Right? but they were a weapon that wasn't meant to be used against the sheep. They actually protected the sheep against anything that would come against them, therefore bringing them comfort, not because of the instrument itself, but because of the one who was holding it. The sheep trust the shepherd to protect them. The rod and the staff protect us. The rod and the staff, they also can give us rest. You can imagine the, the shepherd who's been out there in the field for days and days and days you get tired. You need something to lean on. He's always got us this rod and staff. So he's, he's leaning on it. The rod and the staff, they, they give us hope for rest because the shepherd lean, leans on the rod and staff and we can lean on the shepherd. The rod and the staff, they also guide us. If you can picture it, they were usually pretty long sticks, maybe six foot long, like a bamboo stick. And you as the shepherd, you'd be following along behind your sheep, and if they start going astray, you just kind of tap them on the shoulder, or maybe you give them a little bit of a, so they notice, and they can go in the right direction, right? When I, when I was younger, for some reason, my doofus friends and I, we would go around, and we would like thump each other on the head. Anybody else? Was that just, that was just my world. Okay, so we go around, and we like thump each other on the head just to get each other's attention, you know? It didn't serve a great purpose. Later in, later in life, when I was I was kind of growing in my relationship with God, I just had this sense that God was just kind of lovingly thumping me on the head every now and then, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I remained a doofus for a few more years. And so he would get me back on the right path. He would guide me, right, with just a little bit of a, of a tap. <laughs> the rod and the staff, they protect us, they give us rest, and they guide us. What does this say about us? That we're sheep? Anybody like being called a sheep? It's not like, have you ever given somebody a compliment by calling them a sheep? Probably not. <laughs> They're not the smartest of animals. Just kind of wander around. <laughs> I don't like being called a sheep unless Jesus is my shepherd. Then I'll, then I'll claim the label. Ultimately, nobody else can be my shepherd. It means 
that we need protection and we need rest and we need guidance. Can I admit to you today that I need protection sometimes and I need rest sometimes and I, God knows I need guidance. David saw God as being like a shepherd who uses tools of correction and protection to bring us peace. And I want to point out to you that this isn't the last time that God uses an instrument meant for harm to reveal his love for us. Jesus picked up on this shepherd imagery as well. I think he read David. And he said these words, this is John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Something different about this shepherd. He lays his life down for his sheep. If you're following along in your little sermon notes, I, I think you could actually cross out the words rod and staff and put the cross of Jesus Christ, which was an instrument designed for harm. It was an instrument actually designed for death. And yet, because of the one who bears it, it protects us. And it gives us rest. And it guides us through the valleys of life. This has been kind of my, my simple prayer this week. It might resonate with you. It's just this. God, keep the cross of Jesus in front of me and guide me out of the valleys of life. David said, even though I walk in dark, dark valleys, he knew something about God's heart. It's not God's heart toward us that we would have to suffer. God knows that we're going to be in the valley sometimes, that we're going to walk right into it sometimes. And being the God who brings dead things back to life, he delights in redeeming our darkness. God delights in redeeming your darkness. God delights in being the kind of shepherd who's willing to go down into the valley to rescue his wayward sheep. And so what you need to hear today is that you are not too far lost. However deep your valley is, it's not deeper than your shepherd is willing to go. You are not too far lost for this shepherd. I want to invite you to join me in, it, in, in the valley song that we've, we're actually doing all, all summer long. And it might be that you're not in a place like that right now, but it's definitely uh, it, it's a tool that you're going to need to carry with you, a song for the valley, a song for people who are walking in, in darkness. And I want to invite you to, to uh, recite this song with me, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the kind of shepherd who, who was willing to enter into the valley for the sake of his sheep. That you would enter into the, into the world for our sake. We know and prove it all the time that we are imperfect. 
but you come to give us new life. We thank you for new life celebrated in the waters of baptism. We thank you for new life that we experience as we come for bread and for juice. And as we come to this table, we come following the cross of our good shepherd who leads us into life. And in the way, God, you tend to do this sign that looks like death leads us into life. So we take bread and we take juice, which is for us a sign of the presence of the body and blood of Christ. Send your Holy Spirit into these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us, the body and blood of Christ, so that we could be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name, amen.